Welcome to the 163rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly look at Major League Baseball, including trade deadline discussions. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And all the predictions during the summer are in Major League Baseball, where Patrick went 3-1 and one with his weekend series predictions. That brings him to a 437 and 307 overall record, a 58.7% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, you know, anytime I go 3-1, and one, I got to be happy about it. So obviously a very, very successful week for me. Um, and I'm okay with that. You know, the Guardians took two of three from the Rays. That was the only loss of the week for me. Uh, pretty much three close games, so nothing really to complain about there as uh, the Guardians took game one, four to one. They lost game two, six to four, and then they won game three, five to three. So, you know, some close, low scoring, I wouldn't say lazy baseball, obviously, but in terms of the scoreline, it's not like there's anything particularly special in this series, I guess is what you can say. Uh, so, you know, I, it's not it's not that big of a deal. I'm, you know, obviously not happy that I lost the series, but, uh, you know, it wasn't... I didn't feel like I predicted the wrong team. You know, you're going to lose... A, you, you win some, you lose some kind of a mentality with that series. But in the rest of the series, the Padres took two or three from the Twins. There were some weird things happening throughout this series. Jerickson and Profar hitting a game-tying single until it wasn't a game-tying single because it actually hit a referee up the middle, and then all of a sudden... Uh, sorry, yeah, an umpire up the middle, and then all of a sudden it was a dead ball, and he only got credit for the single, and the guy on second, instead of scoring if it would have went into center field, actually had to stay put at second, so some weird things going on, but despite that happening in Game 2 of the series, they actually still won uh, Game 1 and Game 3, so it didn't really matter, uh, and then you have the Mets who swept the Marlins. They went down 3 to nothing in the first inning of the first game of this series, and it wasn't looking great, and then... Sandy Alcantara, considering he was on the mound, it was really looking bleak for them. And then all of a sudden, Sandy had probably the worst start he had of the year, giving up three runs in that for in that in sorry in the second inning right after his team had given him a three to nothing lead in the bottom of the first. So the Mets capitalized on that, won the first game, continued the momentum for the rest of the series, won the second and third game, and all of a sudden they swept that series. And then finally, uh, the Brewers were able to take two of three from the Red Sox to really cement that the Red Sox are going to have to toe the line between buying and selling and maybe be more of sellers by the by the time that the end of the deadline has rolled around. Obviously, as we're about to talk about today, they've really been towing that line so far, and we'll see what continues to happen for the rest of it. But uh, look, for now, the Brewers took that two of three, and obviously the Brewers had some interesting discussions too that they traded, guys. But um, for now, three and one this weekend. Very happy about it. Not much more to say about it because, you know, I think this week has a lot of action going on in the MLB, not only in the standings, but obviously with the trades too. So I think I don't need to speak any more about my predictions with the rest of the stuff going on. Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. That's at 4thand24.com. And as you mentioned, a lot of stuff going on in Major League Baseball. So let's turn our attention to Major League Baseball starting in the American League East. Where the Yankees, of course, still lead the division at 69-34, and although... Their lead has slightly decreased. The Blue Jays have brought it down to 11 and a half games, while the, the Blue Jays have gone 8-2 and two in their last 10, with a win streak of 7 included in there somewhere, and currently on a two-game winning streak, while the Yankees are just 5-5 five and five in their last 10, as uh, some 
some late game struggles with them. I think it said that they blew their first ninth inning lead of the year uh, when Salvador Perez hit his three run home run up the middle, uh, up the middle. I mean, <laughs> to center field, I guess I should say. But uh, yeah, they've had some issues recently with the fact that they've had some bullpen injuries. Obviously, we knew they were going to fix something with the pitching in uh, at the trade deadline, and they actually did end up doing that. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but Tampa Bay Rays. They are in third now at 14 and a half games back. They're three and seven in their last 10. Not great, but 54 and 48 on the season. It's starting to look like what we thought it would look like at the beginning of the season, except the fourth place team is the Baltimore Orioles, not the Boston Red Sox. They are 17 and a half games back at 51 and 51, while the Red Sox are 18 games back at 51 and 52. Uh, the Red Sox three and seven in their last 10. And obviously we've seen, uh, you know, all the highlights of, well, they're definitely not highlights. They're definitely lowlights of their uh, misplays of uh, balls that are in the center field, uh, pitchers running past first base instead of running to the bag, infielders not being able to pick up a ground ball, infielders not being able to completely field another type of ground ball, uh, infielders not being able to decide who's going to catch the infield pop-up, and the list goes on and on. We know the Red Sox are making a lot of mistakes defensively, and just how disappointing this team has been to watch recently has kind of led a lot of speculation that they might be sellers at the deadline. And that has kind of happened, but kind of not happened at the same time. And we're going to get into that in a second. Uh, but look, again, still looks like the Yankees are going to hold uh, their lead and still looks like the Blue Jays are the prime contender to take them down if they have a really big slump rather than just going, you know, five and five in a 10-game span. Uh, but in terms of the trades in this division, the big one, which was... Well, maybe not the biggest one, but the first one that really everybody thought might be the first domino to fall and then kind of turn into the first one before the longest stalemate in trade deadline history was that the Yankees acquired Andrew Benintendi from the Royals for three prospects. Uh, it kind of ended their pursuit of Juan Soto to most, but at the same time, they kept all their top prospects, so I guess that was possible, but I don't think they have enough room for Juan Soto with already having... Aaron Judge on their roster and then acquiring Andrew Benintendi, that just wouldn't make much sense. Uh, but then the Rays acquired David Peralta from Arizona for a catching prospect. Uh, again, the Rays making kind of a, a little bit of a move to just get them an extra bat that they really, really needed. And, you know, they've had some struggles in the outfield since guys have been injured. Uh, Wander Franco, obviously, although he's not an outfielder, he's been injured. Kevin Kiermeyer is out for the season, so kind of replacing that production is where... Uh, this pickup is going, and David Peralta will mostly play left field, but I guess maybe some other outfield positions. Not likely, though. And, you know, Randy Rosarena will hold down some of the other ones. And then Harold Ramirez, when he comes back from his injury, will hold down probably right field. But that's kind of the issue that they have right now is that those guys are all injured, and that's what they're having to fight through, and they kind of need help. They need help there. So David Peralta is going to help them for now. And then, you know, the Rays will do what the Rays do. They'll platoon him for the rest of the season playing a bit. Play him against righties because he's a lefty, and then not play him against lefties because he's a lefty. And, uh, you know, Rays are going to do what the Rays do. Uh, then the Yankees did what I said was their main need. First, they addressed their pitching depth that I said they needed before a lot of guys even got injured a few weeks ago. I said they needed pitching depth. That was really their only need because really any team can always use pitching depth. But after Michael King's injury, it became definitely true that that was a possibility for the Yankees, that that would be really their main target. They got Scott Efros from the Cubs. He's a little sidearm righty. He has an interesting arm angle to figure out. They can kind of vary, uh, vary those arm angles out of the bullpen a lot now uh, for 
their number seven prospect, uh, a pitcher, and then they also went and acquired Frankie Montas for and Lou Trevino actually. Not a lot of people are just calling it the Frankie Montas trade, but they got extra bullpen help in this trade too. They actually got two relievers in this trade. Trevino had actually been the A's closer this season, I believe. So that's really two guys who could be. I don't know if Scott Efros was necessarily a considered a very high leverage reliever, but the Yankees can definitely convert him into that if they need to, and uh, they feel confident in him. They got him from the Cubs, and uh, that th- these two are probably going to combine to be their eighth inning guys for the rest of the season um, and kind of replace the struggles of Jonathan Lewisaga and Aroldis Chapman and then also the fact that Michael King is injured now. So, you know, they had a lot to replace, and I think these are the moves that they are making uh, to address that. But then that was their big move, and then they gave up four prospects in that deal. Three of them are pitching prospects, and then a second baseman named Cooper Bowman. Uh, none of them really the Yankees' big, big prospects. So I- I'd say the Yankees did a pretty good job at the deadline. They didn't really give up anybody uh, who was really, really important to them. And I don't I don't necessarily think they're done, but it looks like they filled all the major holes in their roster Frankly, it was kind of surprising that they were even looking for a bat and got uh, Andrew Benintendi. So the fact that they went out and got him, I don't think they have any room for another bat in their lineup. It's very clear that their their lineup is not the problem. They even added Matt Carpenter to help that along, as we've known that, you know, he had a rough season in in, uh, St. Louis, got released, and then all of a sudden has had a ridiculous resurgence with the Yankees. So they've they've had a very good lineup all year long, very consistent. They worked on it in the offseason, and they're kind of just sticking with what they have in that category. But pitching needed some help, especially with the depth and then the injuries that they've had, and I think they've done that, and I don't really see them making any other moves. But uh, then the rest of the teams in this division, I talked about the Rays one move. They also acquired Garrett Clevenger from the Dodgers, who was a lefty reliever. Uh, Just really struggled with the Dodgers, whether it's injuries or just not really having a space on the roster, kind of moving up and down between the minors and the majors for a couple of years between last year and this year. So it's hard for him to really find a place. And the Dodgers just open it really, honestly, a lot of people just assuming they did this to open up a spot on the 40-man roster for who knows who. Could be Juan Soto, could be Ian Happ, could be David Robertson. It could be a lot of different people. Uh, and then that was for outfield prospect uh, German Tapia. It might be Hermann, but, you know, I don't know the pronunciation. I don't think many people have said the pronunciation. Uh, but then you have the Red Sox. As I said, I teased it a little bit. They kind of started to toe the line between buying and selling. They acquired Tommy Pham from Cincinnati, but that w- that news came after the fact that they already traded Christian Vasquez to the Astros. I'm going to talk more about that in the AL West, so I'm floating that out there, but that did happen. Um, and then, again, on the fence of buying and selling, after trading Vasquez, they acquired catcher Reese McGuire from the White Sox, uh, probably to be the Vasquez replacement, and sent Jake Diekman, a left-handed reliever, to the Red Sox. This team, actually, or sorry, to the White Sox. This te- this trade actually makes sense between the two Soxes. Um, <laughs> I-, I think, really, the White Sox, looking to add extra bullpen depth, they got Yasmani Grandal back from a big injury, so they kind of needed Reese McGuire at the beginning of the season. That's why he was there. And then now that he's back from his injury, and they have Sevi Zavala, who has been playing not necessarily consistently, but in spots from here to there for them and has performed well, they really have two catchers and there's no point of having a third. If they found a team that was going to take him, I don't see why they wouldn't. And that's exactly what they did. Now the Red Sox are going to be running with 
Kevin Plawecki and, Ze- and, and sorry, Reese McGuire for the rest of the season while the White Sox are going to keep Grandal and Sebi Zavala. So that's how that's going to work. And, you know, White Sox adding an extra reliever. That's really the only thing that happened in the AL Central, but we'll talk about that in a second. All right, well, let's move to the AL Central then. Yeah, not much trade news on this front and not much in the standings either, except for the fact that because the Twins lost two out of three to the Padres, uh, they now only have a one-game lead over the Guardians for second place, in the, or I guess for first place in this division, the Guardians sitting in second place. The Twins are 53-48, and 48, and after the Guardians' uh, two of three win over the weekend, they are 52-49, and 49, one game back. The White Sox are now 51-50, and 50, only two games back. And this is what we were talking about, right? They just had to keep hanging around, and it didn't really look like the Twins or the Guardians were going to run away with the division. And uh, here we are sitting at the trade deadline, and guess what? Nobody ran away with the division, and none of these teams are making any trades. So it looks like the White Sox are in a pretty good position. Uh, they're 6-4 and four in their last 10. They've won two in a row. And as I said, they're two games back despite all the slumps and all the troubles they've had. Their front office, according to a lot of reports about their trade deadline activities, is very, very excited about the position they're in. They still think they can win the division, and they're definitely not going to be sellers of the deadline. I just talked about what they did with Jake Deepman, and guess what? The only other trade in this division came from the last place Orioles who acquired Luke Weaver. Sorry, Royals. I'm used to saying last place Orioles. I've said that sentence a lot of times on this podcast, but I can't say it anymore because they're in fourth now Um, (laughs) and wrong division. But the Royals acquired right-handed pitcher Luke Weaver from the Diamondbacks for third baseman Emmanuel Rivera. Why am I mentioning this? Because I'm skipping over the Tigers on on purpose. No, Um, look, it's a weird move. But, you know, there are always some moves where, you know, one team wants a new pitching prospect, the other team likes a new position player that they can get because they're confident in their pitching in the future. I can't really tell you the reasoning. I'm sure someone who follows the Royals intently or follows the Diamondbacks intently knows why exactly both teams, well, their own team is doing this, but I haven't really seen much reporting on it other than the fact that the deal happened pretty much. And then everybody said, wow, the Royals and the Diamondbacks did something. Uh, That doesn't matter, so let's talk about the Yankees instead. And, you know, it's honestly pretty fair. Uh, And that news got really overshadowed by the Christian Vasquez deal, but we're going to get to that in a second. But the Tigers, 41-62, 13 games back in the division. Royals, 13.5, back at 40-62. and Uh, The Tigers still have not climbed out of last place and run scored in the league, although they're getting, I guess they're getting closer, you can say. It's not a guarantee at all. Uh, but they're looking like they're going to make their way up that leaderboard. They're still 24 runs behind the A's, though. But uh, three and seven in their last 10 for the Tigers, four and six for the Royals. Uh, again, not too sure about that trade, but I guess we'll figure out in the future who won the trade. But I don't think we're going to know anytime soon. Okay, well, let's move over to the American League West where there was a lot more action. Oh, yeah, a lot of big action, starting with the Mariners, who really set off the craziness at the trade deadline. They acquired Luis Castillo, but... As everybody on Twitter, who I guess all the Twitter GMs, I can call them, uh, will tell you, that was an overpay because they gave up four prospects. They're number one, number three, and number five prospects in their system, along with another prospect for Luis Castillo. Look, the Mariners are definitely in a win-now mentality. However, I would just like to say, now for the teams who are trying to trade Juan Soto, they are like... Can the Mariners, like, stop what they're doing? Why did they trade their number one, their number three, and their number five prospects for one and a half years of Luis Castillo? Because now what's the price for two and a half years of Juan Soto? Well, in actuality, that's what you could think initially. 
I actually don't think it changed that much because if you go on the MLB top 100 list and you look at how they rank the prospects, the Dodgers have six better prospects that are in between the Mariners' former best prospect, Noel V. Marte, who's now in the Reds, and the Mariners' second best prospect currently, who's a catching prospect, who's 92nd in the rankings. So they had two top 100 prospects before. They have one now. If the Dodgers were to trade their number one, three, and five prospects, they'd go from six top 100 prospects to three. That's a lot bigger of a difference. So maybe the disconnect here is that people don't understand that the Mariners' farm system isn't actually as strong as most teams are. Definitely really isn't if you look at those rankings and kind of base them only on top 100 players. And that's not really, I mean, I would say that that's a bad thing, but in reality, that's more of just the fact that they've called up all their good prospects. Matt Brash has moved on from being a prospect to a major leaguer. Uh, Obviously, there's that guy, uh, what's his name? Oh yeah, Julio Rodriguez also got called up. Jared Kelenic was previously the number one prospect in all of baseball. He got called up. Whether he's been playing well or not is a different story, but they've really called up three or four of their top prospects, and uh, Logan Gilbert's part of that conversation too. So they've called up their prospects. It's not really... you wouldn't really expect their farm to be very strong as of now. I mean, the Dodgers have just literally, uh, it took until yesterday for the Dodgers to have an at-bat taken by a rookie this season. So it's just that the Mariners don't exactly have uh, the guys that are quite ready to be in the top 100 yet because they really, they just called them up already. But, you know, uh, it's still interesting. I still think you could argue that Seattle gave up too much, but at the same time, they're trying to end the longest playoff drought in major sports currently right now in all of North American major sports, they're going to do whatever it takes. I don't think, and you know, as we keep saying, for every your Don Alvarez, there's always those trades where, you know, the guy who gets traded, everybody says, oh, why did you trade him? And then we never hear the guy's name ever again. It happens all the time. So the Mariners are getting a good starter for two years, or I guess for the end of this playoff run and for next year. They're already in a good position because they're second in the wild card spot. They have a cushion. I think that they think if they get Luis Castillo and their top three in their rotation is Logan Gilbert, Robbie Ray, and Luis Castillo, there's no way that the Guardians or the White Sox or the Orioles catch up to them while also having the Rays jump over them at the same time. They're just trying to solidify their position as a playoff team. I like the trade. That's my final answer on it. And also, I have to say the reason why I spent so much time on it This is still the biggest trade that's happened so far. I mean, if you look at the prospect hall and the actual guy who was traded, this is the biggest trade of the deadline so far. And it really came from an unlikely source because we thought, well, maybe not we, I shouldn't say we, I'll say Twitter thought that Luis Castillo was a Yankee for the last month and a half. And uh, obviously that did not end up happening. Uh, But then the Astros did what they always do. They come in quiet and they made some big deals. They got Trey Mancini from Baltimore and a minor league pitcher, Jaden Murray, in a three-team trade. Uh, They also gave up Jose Siri, who went from Houston to Tampa Bay. And then pitchers Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott went to Baltimore. Baltimore trying to build a little bit more for next year and years after, you know, when their young guys are a little bit older, but still, uh, well, their prospects have experience, but are still young at the same time. That's really what the Orioles are aiming for. That kind of shows them bowing out this season, which is kind of unfortunate because it's been fun to watch their whole win streak and everything. But I think, honestly, from a front office perspective, that is the smarter approach to not chase uh, a playoff spot as a 51-51 and 51 team who hasn't been close to the playoffs in like three or four years at this point. I, I really do think that is the right idea, uh, but it is disappointing to fans, and I get that, and I wouldn't be happy if I was an Orioles fan myself. Uh, but look, not about the Orioles. It's about the Astros right now. 
They also acquired Christian Vasquez from the Red Sox. Reason why this is important, I wrote my I wrote my power rankings two weeks ago, what the team needs were for all of the teams in the league, including some of them like the A's, just getting rid of Frankie Montas and getting a good return for him, which it's debatable if they did or not because they didn't get any of the Yankees' really big-name prospects. But, look, the Astros needed a catcher. I said they needed a catcher who can hit. Martin Maldonado is a great game caller, but his hitting is one of the worst in the league for catchers. So you just don't, you can't, if you're the Astros, I just don't think you can carry him into the playoffs this year and just expect that everything's going to turn out all right. And really, if you watched the World Series last year, Maldonado had his moment or had a moment here and there, but when he had a moment, it was like, did he really just actually get a hit? It was like insane to see him get hits. And um, look, I think they just know that it's not the best idea that, you know, last year he had a, a kind of rough season and then picked it up in the postseason. But this year he's back to his regular season form from last year and maybe even a little bit worse than that. So I, I just don't, I, 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 I knew they needed a, a catcher and I think most people did. I thought that might be Wilson Contreras, but it seems like the Astros just continue to do this every year where they don't go for the number one guy in the market at a position. They always go for the number two guy. They don't have to give up their biggest prospect because of that, but they also end up getting a guy who's able to produce for them and make a and help them make a run to the World Series. And uh, this is what they're doing with Christian Vasquez. He will be that catcher who's going to hit very well for them in the postseason. He's having a great season this year. He had a great season and great postseason for the Red Sox last year. And by the way, the Astros know that firsthand from playing the Red Sox in the playoffs last year, but a very good trade for the Astros. They did exactly what they needed to do. That was the only need that I really thought this team had. They have a great bullpen. Uh, They have a very deep bullpen too, and they have great starting pitching. So really, you had to look at the position players. And I mean, everybody always needs pitching depth, but besides that, got to be the catchers. They got a catcher. So I think the Astros did what they needed to do. It really is back to that two-horse race of the Astros and the Yankees at the top of the AL, and we'll see what happens. So when a guy like Vasquez gets traded during batting practice from one team to the other, you you figure, like, they need time to put a uniform together? Mm-hmm. Especially they're wearing their, their city jerseys. So, like, do they have hundreds of them laying around? How's the guy going to have a uniform? Well... I don't think he's playing today. I think that's. I think that's because uh, of the jersey or because of a physical he has to pass. I think there could he be multiple. I think there's multiple reasons. I think first of all, it's I a long walk. I think first of all, it's a long walk from one clubhouse to yeah, the other. Yeah, despite yeah. the fact that you think it's in it, it, because it's in one stadium, it's across the hall. It's more of a uh, more of a theoretical hall. There, it's a it's a little bit farther away than you would think it is. Um, but also, they just don't need. I mean, look. You know they're not gonna they're not gonna play him in his first game getting traded. Obviously the Red Sox aren't going to trade him. I mean aren't gonna play him today because he's getting traded. But at the same time, I don't think Houston would. I mean frankly, Luis Castillo wasn't in town. I mean I think the Mariners traded for him, and he was just kind of sitting in purgatory for two days. Uh, we heard the story that Andrew Benintendi was staying in the team hotel with the Royals while he was trying to find an apartment. In the in New York because the Royals were playing the Yankees, so he just asked if he could continue to stay in the team hotel. He flew on the team plane while being traded at 11 p.m. the night before, and he was in town in New York, and he just stayed in their team hotel until he could get an apartment. So you know that stuff kind of has to happen, and you know so Christian Vasquez get, is going to take his time. Kind of in limbo. Yeah, for at least for a day or two. But the good news is, since he doesn't have to do any traveling, it won't be a process of traveling and then getting a jersey number and then getting jerseys. He just has to get the jerseys and, you know, take a short walk and move his bags from the hotel to 
I guess, an apartment or maybe yeah, like honestly the, the same hotel. They have laying around when they're sp- when they're it's interesting. These, it's an these, interesting these, discussion. Right? Who knows? These alternate jerseys. All right. Well, uh, you want to take a look at the wild card race in the American League? Yep. You got the Blue Jays, who are three games up on the Mariners uh, for the. Well, actually, they're three games up on the Rays for the third spot. They are in the first spot at 57 and 45. The Mariners, a half game up on the Rays, as I said, trying to solidify their spot at the trade deadline. And then the teams who are behind the Rays, the Guardians are behind by a game and a half. Uh, that that series between the Guardians and the Rays was pretty important. The Guardians were able to close that gap a little bit, and it had no and it had everything to do with themselves as opposed to having to rely on other teams to beat them because obviously different divisions, so they don't play that often. The White Sox now two and a half back, but by the way, both the Guardians and the White Sox closer to leading their division than they are getting into a wild card spot. Interesting discussion because the Twins would actually be a half game out of the wild card if they were surpassed today. Uh, and then the Orioles at three games back and the Red Sox at three and a half games back to end that little wild card discussion. But you don't really know what's going on with the Red Sox and the Orioles because they're in a very tough division and they're both kind of on the fence in terms of competing or not. So I would start to rule those teams out. I think that they know that the White Sox and the Guardians are the real two other contenders that are going to try to fight with the Rays and the Mariners and the Blue Jays to secure those three spots in the wild card. Okay, that wraps up our look at the American League. Let's turn our attention to the National League starting in the East. The Mets still have a lead in the NL East currently of three games, despite what Braves fans uh, would have told you for the last maybe four or five weeks. I keep making this joke on the podcast that uh, every day, the next day, the Braves are going to take control of this division again. They always say, you know, it's going to be tomorrow. No, it's going to be Thursday. No, it's going to be Friday. And uh, they still aren't leading this division. It's taken them a while. And uh, look... They're going to have to do it in the head-to-head. They lost their last series against the Mets. They're going to have to prove it in the head-to-head. They're going to have to beat them. And then they're going to have to continue that through the rest of the year. But we'll see what happens. So far, it hasn't happened this year. And so far, the Mets have the one are the ones who have continued to uh, control this division. They've won six in a row. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. Uh, they completed a two-game mini-sweep of the Yankees and a sweep of the Marlins. So uh, a really, really good week for the Mets, actually. Then you have the Braves, who are 62-41 and 41 at three games back. Uh, almost same run differential as the Mets. It's pretty close. It's plus 98 versus plus 80. The Braves with many more runs scored than the Mets, but uh, a lot more runs given up, which is not surprising. Uh, but they're 6-4 and four in their last 10. And then finally, the biggest news of this division, uh, Austin Riley got paid. He has a 10-year, $212 million extension that he just signed. But I'm just kidding. That's not the actual biggest news. The biggest news in this division, for real this time, is that the Mets are getting the biggest acquisition of the trade deadline. No, it's not Juan Soto. Jacob deGrom is starting tomorrow against the Washington Nationals. Yeah, that might be the same thing as making a AAA rehab start uh, by the time that tomorrow ends. You never know if Josh Bell and Juan Soto might be gone by the end of the day. Uh, But at the same time... Got to, play, got to pitch against somebody, and that's who the Mets have targeted for their return. I've heard stuff that maybe that means his rotation, or his name might be in the rotation by the end of the Braves series again, but I don't quite know that. Uh, but look, the Mets getting DeGrom back is as good as a lot of teams adding in a great, great pitcher. So it's not surprising uh, that Mets fans are excited. I think everybody who's a fan of the league should be excited because the fact of the matter is DeGrom has been the best pitcher in the league when healthy, so you always want to see the best pitchers uh, pitching and the best players playing, obviously, and he is one of those guys. So good for the Mets. They're getting their guy back. And then you have the Phillies, who are nine and a half games back in this division. They've won five in a row. They're six and four in their last 10. Uh, looking good in the wild card race, not looking good in the division race. I don't think they're going to aim for that at this point, though. 
a little quiet in the trade in the trade front in this division. The Mets kind of made the first two trades of the deadline actually with Perez uh, acquiring Michael Perez from the Pirates and also Daniel Vogelback from the Pirates, but not much done since then. And uh, we'll get to what actually did happen in a little bit. But you have the Marlins who are 17 and a half games back at 47 and 55, still not that far out of the wild card uh, race. So I don't really think they're going to be sellers at the deadline. I don't really think they have that th- that many pieces. I mean. Maybe some guys out of their bullpen might be on the last year or year and a half of their contract that we don't know about, but they've lost three in a row. They're four and six in their last ten. They're 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 close to the wild card. They're not bad, but they're kind of struggling to compete. Then you have the Nationals, who are thirty games back, thirty five and sixty eight. Obviously, they've been the team to watch really for the deadline, just waiting uh, because they have the biggest domino that was supposed to fall in the trade deadline, and that obviously being Juan Soto. Not obviously acquiring people at the deadline, but definitely uh, selling people, giving up people. There have been discussions that even maybe someone might want a DH and might want Nelson Cruz. Definitely discussions about Josh Bell doing uh, kind of serving that same purpose while also having some positional value in the, at first base and maybe even in the outfield a little bit. Um, and then, you know, there's obviously the Juan Soto discussions, and there are so many rumors floating around. It seems as though the Padres, the Cardinals, and the Dodgers are the last three teams standing still in the Soto sweepstakes, as you can call them. Uh, but it'll be interesting to talk about. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, but at the same time, that's really all that there is. And uh, look, we haven't. there might have been some trades that have happened during the podcast. We kind of cut it off at, I don't know, what, 7 o'clock-ish? I think I've been hearing stuff about Jose Quintana actually getting traded somewhere, but I don't quite know where. And, you know, there's not that much of a confirmed return or anything yet. And I don't know if anything's finalized, so I'm not going to speculate. Well, I, I obviously everybody loves to speculate, so I would speculate on it, but I really just don't know anything. Uh, but then in terms of the trades that actually did happen, the Mets acquired Tyler Naquin and Philip Deal, a left-handed reliever from Cincinnati for two prospects. Obviously, we know Cincinnati is definitely going to be one of those teams that is going to be giving up a lot of players in the, at the deadline. Then the Phillies acquired Edmundo Sosa, a shortstop from the Cardinals for left-handed reliever Jojo Romero. Now, this deal is interesting because if you look at the wildcard standings, these teams are one game apart, and they're trading with each other. You normally don't see that happen, just like you wouldn't see the Dodgers trading with the Giants, not only because they're rivals, but because they're divisional rivals trying to win the same divisional title. It's very odd to see two teams, literally, one team as as the team that you need to get over to get into the wildcard, and the other team one game back of the wildcard spot, trading with each other, but I guess, you know, if one team has something you like, you like that bullpen pitcher. I mean, the Cardinals, as we know, need a lot of bullpen depth. Their position players have always been fine, and, you know, Nolan Arenado at third base is holding it down. Tommy Edmond has been great, and Nolan Gorman has been great since he's been called up, so that's kind of their infield, obviously, with Paul Goldschmidt at first, uh, but that's a given. So, you know, I can see why they didn't need Edmundo Sosa anymore. He had been a very good prospect, and he's played well in the MLB when he's been up there. But on the other hand, their bullpen has really needed some depth, so maybe they think Jojo Romero has a good enough arm that they can bring him into the bullpen and uh, have him work some magic from there with the Cardinals pitching staff and really figure some things out. While on the other hand, the Phillies have kind of figured out their bullpen issues a little bit. I wouldn't say they have a great bullpen, but they've definitely dealt with their issues, and because of that, you can see why maybe they don't want, they don't need an extra reliever and maybe... Uh, Edmundo Sosa is a, either a Didi Gregorius replacement or insurance, or if Bryson Stott is going to get sent down again, you never know. So uh, I think it makes sense. I mean, that's obviously 
That obviously has to be the rationale for why you would trade uh, between these two teams that are both vying for the same spot. It's kind of the same thing as the Red Sox and the White Sox. So makes sense in the end, but it is a little odd. And then you have Atlanta, who does the same thing that they've done since last year, which is player used to play for them. They're just going to acquire them from whoever signed them this year. So uh, here Adrianza comes back to the Braves uh, from Washington for Trey Harris, who was Atlanta's number 29 prospect in their system. Uh, obviously not the outfielder uh, or obviously not the position player that anybody thought was uh, very important come the trade deadline from Washington, but nonetheless, a position player getting traded from Washington. Uh, so very interesting. Not Definitely not the guy anybody expected, but yet here we are. Uh, and that's really it for the NL East in terms of the trades and in terms of the division. Okay, well then let's move over to the Central, where things keep looking the same. Yeah, and the Brewers are actually still in the lead. The Cardinals, I thought, maybe because of how bad the Brewers have been playing, they might trend up and the Cardinals might take that lead. But still, three games back of the Brewers. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10. The Cardinals are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Uh, Cardinals at 54-48. and 48, Brewers at 57-45. and 45. The bottom three teams in this division are notable to watch at the trade deadline because everybody who's on a one-year deal is destined to go. I talked about Jose Quintana's rumors. He's from the Pirates. They already traded Vogel back. They already traded Perez. We talked about the Reds giving up uh, Tommy Pham. We talked about the Reds giving up Philip Deal and Tyler Naquin. There could be more players from the Reds on the go if uh, they even have anybody else at this point. I don't even know. Uh, and the Cubs, obviously, there were a lot of discussions about Wilson Contreras at the beginning of last week. Um, also, uh, Ian Happ, David Robertson, part of those discussions. And then, obviously, Scott Efros already is gone to the Yankees. So... Those three teams in the Central, definitely some big trade distributors because the Brewers aren't really the Brewers aren't really a large market team, so they're probably not going to make a lot of blockbuster trades. Uh, and, you know, that means that there's not many people to trade within the division with in terms of the Reds, the Cubs, and the Pirates. So definitely a lot of destinations that they can trade to, get good prospects from, and they can kind of, like, shop the market and figure out who has the best prospects for them, who's going to give them the best package as opposed to just saying, we need a trade, let's get them out of here, uh, whoever it is. But in terms of the actual standings, the Cubs, 7-3 and three in their last 10, which is pretty good for them, uh, but still 15 and a half games back at 41-60. and 60. The Reds, 40-61, and 61, are, fi- are 16 and a half games back. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. And the Pirates, very cold recently, 17 games back, as they're 2-8 and eight in their last 10 with a 7-game losing streak. The only trade in this division is actually a pretty big trade. Josh Hader moving from the Milwaukee Brewers to the San Diego Padres in exchange for Taylor Rogers, but also Denelson Lamette, Robert Gasser, and an outfield prospect, Esuri Ruiz, uh, from the Padres, who has played some in the major leagues this year. I don't know where exactly he's still ranking in their system. I think he's probably 7th or 8th, somewhere in that range. Uh, but Robert Gasser is also another uh Pitching prospect. I'm sorry if his name has some French in it and it's not Gasser because that kind of sounds bad. But <laughs> um, but look, Denelson Lamette was a big pitching prospect for the Padres that's had a lot of injuries that have held him back and, uh, you know, just kind of had an unlucky career to start. And uh, maybe the Milwaukee Brewers think they can work some magic, fix him like they have with some pitchers in the past. And then in terms of Josh Hader for Taylor Rogers, it seems like this is a deal where the Brewers just thought, these pitchers are both lefty pitchers. They're both lefty closers. One of them has 28 saves. One of them has 29. One of them is first. One of them is second. One of them has a 4-2-5 ERA. One of them has a 4-3-2 ERA. If we're going to trade one closer for the other when they're that close 
and we get four extra players in the deal, I think the Brewers just say, let's go for it. And actually, it was the first time they, they actually posted on Twitter their, uh, I think it was their president of baseball ops, posted va- basically an explanation for their trade. You normally don't see teams doing that. They're normally just, you know, make their trade go on with their business. But I guess he kind of felt the need to address that with the fans, considering that they had moved their longtime closer after really pretty much one bad game, you could argue, with the six runs given up to the Giants a few weekends ago. Uh, but at the same time, Devin Williams can close too, uh, and Taylor Rogers doesn't even have to move into the closer role. It doesn't even have to be a closer swap. This could just turn in to an AL. This could just turn into an eighth inning guy for a closer who's had some struggles recently, and that could be what the deal ends up being. So, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily so down on this deal for the Brewers as a lot of people are because I honestly think people have thought they're a contender, uh, but it's almost like they're just fooling people with smoke and mirrors because there really have not been a serious contender since that time they were in the NLCS with the Dodgers, to be quite honest. Since then, they really have not been a serious contender. The Braves were able to make quick work of them last year and uh, obviously then went on to beat the Dodgers and then the Astros and then in the World Series, obviously. So the Brewers never really in full-on contention and, uh, you know, this is just kind of extending their window as a playoff team rather than bolstering themselves as a World Series team this year. And if you look at it, they have the worst record of any division leader except for uh, the Twins in the AL Central. So it's not really surprising. They're not that strong of a team. Yeah, uh, kind, not, kind of a surprising trade. Not surprising that the Padres are making moves. Yeah. So let's talk about their division, the NL West. That is where the Dodgers lead at 68-33 and 33 after they tied the fourth best record in a month of July in MLB history, not just in Dodgers history. They went 21-4 and four in July. The All-Star break... Dodgers cooled off after the All-Star break for a little bit. They, uh, well, they did sweep the Giants, but then they lost two of three to the Nationals. Then they promptly woke up again and beat the Rockies for three out of four in Colorado, despite Colorado being the worst place the Dodgers have been, I guess probably their worst record in any venue this year, I would assume. Maybe PNC Park in Pittsburgh might hold a candle to that, um, as the Dodgers are under 500 playing against the Pirates and the Rockies and the Nationals up until the middle of that Rockies series, but then obviously near an 800 winning percentage against the rest of the league. It's pretty ridiculous. Uh, but look, Dodgers are 68 and 33. They're plus 195 in run differential. They have not caught up to the Yankees yet in that category, but still a very, very strong mark. Seven and three in their last 10. I already talked about the month of July. Uh, and then the Padres, 12 games back, they're 57 and 46, but unfortunately for them, if the Dodgers go 30 and 31 for the rest of the season, they would need to go 41 and 19 to win the division. That would be very, very hard. And they'd also probably need to win nine or 10 of the games uh, against the Dodgers out of the 12 that they are playing. Um, But look, the real discussion here is that the Padres are still going to try to contend. And also, ironically enough, they are 12 games back in their division, but the team that's their trading partners for now they would be one, they'd be a half a game back of the Brewers. The Brewers are 57 and 45, and the Padres are 57 and 46. So as much as many people, especially Dodgers fans, like to clown on the Padres, the fact of the matter is they have the record to be a division leader. It's just that they're playing against the Dodgers who have the best record in all of baseball. So it's not really that easy to contend with that, and that is the problem that they're dealing with right now. It's less about them, it's more about who they're dealing with. Um, and look, the Dodgers have been great, and they've kept that lead. 
And because of that lead and because of that sweep of the Giants that I talked about, the Giants are in third place at 51 and 51, 17 and a half games back of the Dodgers. Uh, they would need a ridiculous record to win this division. I don't think they're aiming to win this division, and uh, we'll see what they do at the trade deadline. They have not made, like, a single move, but we'll talk about the one move they did make, which was not really a big move, but this is more of a lateral move that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, but then, at the end of that, at the end of this division, you have the Rockies, who are 46-57. and 57. They're 23 games back. And the Diamondbacks, who are 45-56, and 56, who are also 23 games back. Giants, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Rockies, 3-7 and seven in their last 10. Diamondbacks have lost three in a row, but they are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Uh, but now let's get on to the trades here. There were actually, surprisingly, I mean, when you consider, well, I guess I did talk about, I talked about Hayter as a, as a trade in the NL Central, but you could lob that in in the NL West too. The only two trades I'm going to mention is NL West trades. I'll just leave it at that. The Dodgers acquired a right-handed reliever, Chris Martin, from Chicago for a utility infielder or slash outfielder, Zach McKinstry. Really just kind of struggled to break on, break onto the Dodgers roster and kind of, you know, get consistent playing time. He's been on the roster since July 6th and has made one start with six total plate appearances. So, uh, you know, he's really just sitting on, he was sitting on the active roster, not really doing much. And uh, the one need that I said the Dodgers had this season was bullpen depth and pitching depth in general. And that's what they're getting with Chris Martin. I said maybe high leverage relievers probably in my in my uh, in my power rankings as the very specific need, but I don't really see why Chris Martin can't be a high leverage reliever because that's how the Atlanta Braves were using him in 2019, 2020, and even a little bit before that. Uh, the Cubs signed him this year, but look, Chris Martin, he's a good reliever. He has a lot of playoff experience. I think he's one of those guys who's had a, who's had better expected numbers than actual numbers this year, and you know he's been unlucky, and you know not surprising to be unlucky when you have. Uh, a defense littered with a bunch of rookies behind you. No offense to the Cubs, but the roster is not going to be that good. Your defense probably isn't that good. Um, and, you know, maybe with some better defense behind him, he can turn those numbers around. And instead of being somebody who has better expected numbers than actual numbers, has better actual numbers than expected numbers. Uh, that's what the Dodgers hope they're getting. And look, another reliever with valuable playoff experience. It'll help the Dodgers long term. They have a lot of injuries on the pitching staff. You know, we've talked about it before. Daniel Hudson is out. Craig uh, Craig Kimbrell has not been great. Blake Trinan has been out for a long, long time. Tommy Canely got injured, and it seems like it's a long-term injury that might be resolved by the end of the year. And then Dustin May is going to come back, and Walker Buehler might come back. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers don't make a move for a starter, to be quite honest. I think the bullpen is a bigger need because the guys who are out for the season are bullpen guys. The guys who have been out for a while but aren't out for the season— are relievers. So, I mean, it's not entirely surprising that the Dodgers are going to be making those moves in the bullpen. And maybe, maybe, if you're looking at what's been going on, the Dodgers might go from the quietest team at the deadline to the loudest team at the deadline. It is possible that the Dodgers are in on the Juan Soto sweepstakes. And uh, we'll just have to see what happens with that. I mean, there's probably, I'd say probably an 80% chance that Juan Soto ends up in the, in the NL West, whether it's with the Dodgers or the Padres. If he ends up anywhere else, in terms of his overall chance to land in the NOS, I'd give it 50 because the Cardinals still have a chance, obviously. Maybe they have greater than a 20% chance. That might not be right. And I still think, honestly, there's a chance that the Nationals don't trade him until the winter where they can kind of let him play out his full season, maybe even have the new owners come in, give him a better offer if they want to, and that's that's a whole separate discussion. But Juan Soto, obviously, still the biggest name on the market. Two of the teams in the market for him in this division, and uh, look, it's an interesting division, but it's also an interesting division in terms of the wild card, where the Padres 
are the second team in the wild card. The Braves, obviously, the first one. Uh, they're up six and a half on the Phillies for that last spot in the wild card. The Phillies holding down that third and la- in third and final spot, while the Cardinals are one game back of them. Obviously, I talked about that weird trade, and then obviously you have the Giants at four games back, fifty-one and fifty-one. And you know, I threw in the Marlins there at eight games back to show that their divisional, uh, you know, how far they are back in the division does not necessarily say how far they are back in the wild card. If some prospects come up and, you know, make late rookie of the year pushes and stuff like that, they could actually threaten to make the playoffs if the Cardinals and the Phillies have to deal with some other injuries too. But that's a lot of ifs that I just mentioned. But, you know, something to note that the Marlins still do have the potential. They're not a bad team. They're just kind of a middle-of-the-pack team. And uh, it's interesting to see what the Giants will do as they've been struggling since the break. But overall, just 51-51 and and only four games back of the wild-card spot. Okay, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for the week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, August 8th, where we will once again take a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions and Major League Baseball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, which will be on Thursday, and his Major League Baseball power rankings that will be updated tomorrow. All that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.